Welcome to my first time. I'm uh, Mary Jo Smith. I'm Colleen Smith. No, no relation. relation. With us as always is Ian Smith. Hello. Related Not- to... Oh shit, we oh, blew it. Screwed it up. Related oh. to me. Not related to me. Ah. Uh, but weirdly, mm-hmm. tonight our guests include another Ian Smith. <gasps> Related to me. But not related to me. What? My mind is blown. <laughs> uh, this month's theme is the first time I went abroad. Yeah, I went abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so our guests are, I, Elliot, I didn't ask you. It's Schwartz, right? It is Schwartz, okay, yes. Okay, so Elliot Schwartz. I knew Elliot by a different last name yes. previously. Oh, uh, Alex Staggs. And Ian Smith. It's actually Ian Bond Smith now. He changed his name when he got married, leaving me the only Smith left in my family because all of my sisters took their husbands' names, like fucking Amish people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No offense to the Amish. Um, Uh, So, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves to the world so that people can know you, Elliot? Sure. Um, I'm Elliot Schwartz. I'm an actor, writer, uh, main company member at Groundlings. And... um, I was a high school uh, tennis champ in a way. So Ooh, if you hear way. me talking, I'll be the, the southerny tennis champ sounding guy. <laughs> is, that, is that good? Is that a good fact? That's a great That's fact. a fun fact. I want tons of tennis. Just <laughs> kind of sprinkled in. I didn't know that. I had no idea. <gasps> Talk to your friends. <laughs> My husband that. was ranked in Tennessee <laughs> okay. at tennis. Oh. Uh, I'm Alex Staggs. <laughs> Hijacking. <laughs> Jacking my facts. Um, I'm an actor, director, writer. Elliot and I co-created Thrust, a devastating one-act play. Um, and, um, yeah, I actually, um, what's a fun fact about me? Um, I've been watching a lot of figure skating, as probably most of us have, I'm assuming. And I was really, I couldn't get enough of that Canadian couple who skated to Moulin Rouge. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know I need Moulin Rouge on ice until I saw that. I can't get enough. You feel complete? Have you seen it? When I watch it tonight, I'll be able to complete myself. (laughs) Complete myself. Uh, my name is Ian Bondsmith, formerly Ian Smith. Uh, 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 yeah, I know. Um, well, I suppose I should tell at least a little bit of how the name thing came about. My uh, my wife, whose name is Liesel, and her, her maiden name was Cochrane Bond, hyphenated. And so when we got married, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And uh, she didn't particularly want to be Smith because, you know, that's boring. Whatever. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And so we decided on Bondsmith, and so that's where we are. And I get to spell my name, you know, Bond, like James Bond with Smith added on to the end of it. So <laughs> that's kind of fun for me. So um, uh, I am a very, very happy father of three young children. Uh, this last few months, I also happen to be a middle school basketball coach for my daughter, Ashlyn. Oh. And I'm also an attorney. Wow. Nice. Yes. Oh, he's very busy. That's me yeah. <laughs> You've done a lot with your life. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll begin. Oh, tell us about the first time you went about. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking about this, and um, I have things that happen, but they don't really, they're just things that happened, and then there's kind of a central thing that happened. Uh, so I'm going to tell the things that happened, and then the thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I was 22 or 23, the first time I went abroad, I went to London and Dublin. Uh, I went with my little sister, Jennifer Smith, uh, and she was either 19 or 20 when we went. 
So uh, neither one of us had any money, and this is still, you know, this is like 2001, 2002, so uh, the internet is still not as fully blossomed as it is today, mm -hmm. so our plans are very big and strange. And we spent a lot of time in both cities just wandering around, looking at things, guessing that they were old and then <laughs> and then looking for places to drink um and that is you know that was sort of what we did so when we got to london we stayed at this adorable airbnb or not airbnb they didn't exist yet we started stayed at a actual legit bed and breakfast um our bedroom was basically just like a wallpapered hallway um but they served a, a delicious full English breakfast at like mm. 6 a.m., which is just meat and beans and these weird sausages that had a weird bread filling um, that I've never been able to get any English person to acknowledge as being a real thing. So maybe just this house had it. Um, and because of the timing and the time change, uh, we'd always be up too early to eat breakfast and then not be able to go into the city because nothing's open yet. So we would just sit there and watch uh, British television, which also wasn't great back then. So we just watched a lot of Five Go Dating, which was a reality show where there were five boys and five girls and they would just each date each other. Um, so that we spent a large quantity of our trip watching reality TV and eating um, digestive biscuits, which <laughs> <laughs> we thought because you know you don't nothing's open to eat, so you, we started a grocery shop and we thought digestive biscuits were healthy because they were called digestive biscuits, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize that they're just oat cookies with chocolate on them. They're very good. They're delicious, yeah. but we were eating cookies. Sure, we were eating cookies like we were eating some sort of healthy snack. Right, like gummy bear vitamins. Yes. Yeah. Like oh, I, just, thought, I thought they were like probiotic cookies. Yeah. No, no, no. no. They didn't They're move. called digestive biscuits, but they are cookies. They're like delicious buttery oat cookies. And you it's get like them regular or covered Oreos in chocolate. Headache cookies. Yeah. They're and still you just cookies. think like, oh I'm eating cookies. Like just eat <laughs> with but with no no laxative or anything. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Nothing wow. other than the fact that it's oats. Okay. There's nothing <laughs> the about oats it is doing the heavy that lifting. is good for you. I don't know why they're called digestive biscuits. Maybe in the same way that um, like ginger ale is good for your stomach, but it's sure. still soda. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, we did that. We uh, we one of the most beautiful moments was we went into St. Paul's Cathedral, and this is before St. Paul's Cathedral was this huge tourist trap, and everybody had to pay to go in and pay to climb 600 stairs to the top. Um, and we went in, and the choir was practicing, and nobody was in there. And we walked to the top and, like, looked at the city and listened to the choir. And this was the same year my dad died. So uh, it was this, like, sobbing, St. Paul's listening. We're finally in Europe where my father's stories all come from. And it was this very beautiful, emotional thing. And then the other uh, major thing I remember was that in Dublin, um, while I was nursing a horrible hangover, Jennifer went to take a shower and I heard this horrible noise of like metal and plastic and water, but no audible sound from Jennifer. No, no sound from her. <laughs> so I go running to the bathroom. I open the door and I hit her in the head because she slipped, turning around in the shower, fell, grabbed the shower curtain to brace herself, ripped the entire shower curtain and rod out of the wall and fell completely out of the tub. Like, didn't nail herself on the tub. God. Somehow wow. managed to fall outside of the tub and didn't make a single noise. Wow. Nothing out of her mouth at all. 
And she was just like naked and wet and lying there. <laughs> the most damage she got was me hitting her in the head with the door. <laughs> but the, the hotel was very nice about it and they just replaced it. So anyway, so the big story of going abroad was, um, uh, if you've listened to this podcast or you know me as a human being, Jennifer's my best friend. We love each other. We've basically lived together our entire lives. Uh, but we got into one of the biggest fights we've ever gotten into in London. So I, it turns out, am not great with attention on me when I'm traveling. My mom and I had gone to San Francisco to uh, for me to audition for Juilliard. Um, and anytime she'd bust out a map, I'd like scream at her because I didn't want to be seen with a map. It didn't want anybody oh. to think that I was from somewhere else. Mm. You wanted to fit in. And I even just fit in. I thought there were going to be thieves or people would know that we didn't know something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So when we got to London, um, when we were on the subway, I wouldn't talk to her. Because I, in close quarters, <laughs> I didn't want anybody to hear that I had an, I didn't have a British accent and that I wasn't from there. And I didn't want her to bust out any maps or look at anything. I just wanted to figure out our plan, get on the subway, be silent until we got into the city. And then we could talk when there were a lot of people around. And Jennifer didn't understand this. And she would just <laughs> sit on the subway staring at me. And I was just kidding. So angry at her, <laughs> and she was so angry at me. She's like, "Why are you being this weirdo? Who won't look at me or talk to me?" And it was just like was that. Also, like meant tourist, you don't talk on the subway. Well, but that they would know that I wasn't from there. Oh, because, because you don't have, have an accent. I don't have an accent. Understood. Or I do have an accent. Anyway. Right for the right. So uh, we, there was a little bit of getting on each other's nerves, and what happened was we went to an internet cafe uh, to email uh, my roommates that Jennifer, when she came down for the summer, lived with, but they were my roommates, um, to tell them what was going on. So I craft this email that's like, hey, we're in London, we're at an internet cafe, doing blah, 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 blah. love, Colleen. And Jennifer uh-huh. got furious with me because I didn't say love, Colleen, and Jennifer. Which then erupted into this fight of like, are they my friends? Are they our friends? And it just, I don't really remember everything about it, but just screaming at each other and just... In an internet cafe? No, well, we went outside because also I don't, A, I don't like speaking loudly where people can hear, but I also don't, even in America, don't like fights in public. Did you argue with a fake accent? I did not. <laughs> but I, any kind of fight, if someone started to yell, I'll be like, don't, don't yell. Let's go. We'll go. I, I, I'm better at it now, but definitely uh, I can't, I don't like it. I don't like loud fights in public. You sound very white. I'm <laughs> <laughs> very similar. It's very, you're very Anglo. It's very British. Yeah. And so, you know, Jen's like, what? And I was like, the thing is, I just, it's fine. Uh, okay. Like trying to lower my voice. And it just became this huge thing about who's friends with who and, and do I even value her in my life and just larger issues and who knows. We're, we're you know, we're drunk in England. No, we were actually sober. Um, anyway. So we finally managed to find some kind of quiet corner to sit on on the side of a building and have a quiet cry fight with each other. (laughs) In the middle of this quiet cry fight, and now I'm going to do a British accent, a man walks up and goes, excuse me, do you know where something is or whatever? And we both turn and we're red-eyed from crying and we're clearly been fighting. Even if we're whisper fighting, you know we were fighting. And we're like, no, I'm sorry. Um, we, don't, we don't know where that is. Oh, right. Anyway, so... Uh, but it, uh, somebody told me that it was a rat. 
continues to ask us. And we're both like, no, we don't know where it is. Oh, okay, all right. Back to fighting. And he asks a third time, like, because someone told him something was nearby, or did we know where another landmark was that might be near the thing that he's looking for? And I don't think we screamed, we're in the middle of a fight. <laughs> we're not from here. Go away. <laughs> Well, we did do, and I guess in all of our, um, we're not wasps, we're Irish Catholics, but uh, all of our, like, well, Jennifer's not repressed, I am, I guess. Um, We just went, no, we're not from here. We're American. Uh, (laughs) You totally, like, completely outed yourself. (laughs) Well, because he, well, if you... Okay, I know that uh, obviously L.A. is a land of immigrants, and I'm sure London is a land of immigrants. But um, if you're if you're speaking of the accent of where you're from, and you go up to two people who are sitting there having either an in-depth conversation that may or may not involve crying, and you ask them, <laughs> "Hey, do you know where something is?" and they answer you in an accent, no matter how clear their English is or whatever, you might guess they're not from there. Or that they don't know where it is because they said, no, I, I don't, don't know, know where, where it is. is. <laughs> and if you follow up a second time because you're like, maybe they're too emotional because they're in the middle of a fight that defines their sisterhood and friendship, that they may not remember that they have a map in their pocket. Uh, when you ask them again and they say no in an accent, you, you, I think you get it. I don't know why you need three times of asking. Anyway, the good thing is, and some people think that that's why this gentleman asked us this, because it broke the tension. It ended the fight. <laughs> so maybe he was an angel. Yeah. Maybe he was a magical. Did he disappear as he walked yeah, away? Yeah, he just floated away. <laughs> um, he just like put his arm up like Superman and um, flew into the sky. But it broke up the argument. And Jennifer and I are still friends with each other. And we survived 11 hours uh, back through customs on an American... I think a Delta flight oh. back in 2001, <laughs> 2002. No Wi-Fi. Yeah. No Wi-Fi. Yeah. Only those center screens that go down the aisle. Mm-hmm. They play like one movie. Mm-hmm. I think they give you one meal. It's not my friend who was from England who was like, oh, no, on international flights they play like eight movies. And they, you can pick them and they give you socks and there's more room. <laughs> So, so. Never fly international <laughs> on an American airline. Anyway, that's my very super casual story. Hooray! Yeah, I think I'm ready. All right, yeah. Elliot. Ooh. Elliot Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Sure, thanks for coming. I started off so close to the mic, like I needed to be in it. Um, so <laughs> my first time abroad, I had to really think about it because it was, this is going to all these stories I feel are going to be somewhat pre-internet, right? <laughs> so there were no photos, really. Um, Nothing to remember it by, but um, <laughs> we took photos at least. Well, we didn't. I, I with the disposable cameras or the I don't have yeah. any. There's no footage of it. So <laughs> I went to UCLA, and the students um, would put on this like theater festival where they would write their own material, and one of the guys wrote a play that he also had kind of rich parents. And I think back then you could just somewhat submit to the Edinburgh Festival. Mm-hmm. And the play got in. Edinburgh um, got (laughs) 
it got in. So we all were going to go there for like three to four weeks. And so it was a bunch of 20-year-olds doing this play, and I hope he doesn't listen because I'm going um, <laughs> to... It was called 12th Premise. Okay. Okay. So it was super like artsy. Inside. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. written by, you know, a 20-year-old talking about relationships and how <laughs> difficult they are. And, um, you know, there was, there was, you know, different, you know, there was some gay storylines with some straight storylines and then intermingling because it's like, you know, it's theater school and right. we're 20, so everyone is like fluid, right? Right. Um and so we go to Edinburgh. So we first we go to London and we take this huge van to drive to Edinburgh. And it's fun. We're having a great time. We get there and this part wasn't sold to us. The part where you have to <laughs> hand out flyers all <laughs> day before your show. <laughs> oh, shit. So all of us were like, oh, sick, a free trip to Edinburgh. We're going to screw around, drink drink and party Sold and do this houses. show. Sold out houses, kissing dudes, kissing <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know. We'll kiss dudes to get a free ticket to to Europe. So, we're doing we're doing the plan. I'm like this sucks. So, we would get our flyers in the morning and me and this other guy would literally take them throw them in the trash, and then go <laughs> to <laughs> the bar and hang around. And there's not a ton to do there, because when it's the festival, it's only the festival. Like, right, the whole city yeah. just shuts down for the festival. So you're either there to do that, or there's really nothing to do. It is beautiful there, but we were like, there's really not a whole lot to do. And none of us had a car. We were just, like, all stationed at this kind of big house that they rented, which was awesome. But then you're kind of like, it becomes Groundhog's Day, because you hand out these flyers all day. You do your show, or which not. by that point, you're like, yeah, you're like, oh, great, we're doing the show. The crowd is like, we were at a theater that wasn't really, it was like above a pub, so then you'd like go down, and there was like 40 people. But after after our show was like a magician show, it was this guy that did magic. And <laughs> he defined what a magician show. Just so every, the listeners know. Sure. Well, he, magic he wasn't is very doing, visual. You had to explain Yeah, he wasn't that. doing anything but magic tricks. Um, but also, he always had cocaine. So we're doing cocaine with the magician. The magician. Yeah, with the magician afterwards. And magic, I, I can't tell. I couldn't remember now if it's better or worse on, on cocaine, cocaine, magic, sleight of hand stuff. Or as the like, magician or as the audience As the audience. Uh-huh, if you're getting uh-huh. angrier about that, you're not getting it. I just remember having him do one thing over and over and like, how does that keep ending up behind my ear? Um, you know, and like you think, you're, whatever. So it's Groundhog's Day. We're doing, we're doing cocaine. We're throwing flyers in the trash. Um, we're, doing, <laughs> we're doing all of this stuff. So it, and inside the house, it was kind of like its own real world thing because it was like all of us from college and some people had girlfriends back home and people were cheating within the house right so it becomes this huge thing and our audiences were all like kind of there was no americans there it was like us doing this show so everyone was like oh cool you guys are bitching about having to hook up all the time and party (laughs) you know um which was great uh for us but it got super boring and it was not what i thought it was gonna be right so on our last day there we do like a very scottish thing where we do like a a whiskey scotch whiskey tasting Mm. um and i don't know how you guys feel but i don't think like wine tasting and like whiskey tasting no one under 35 should like do it because you just don't have 
any wherewithal, any like <laughs> taste to be like, oh, I really, yeah, I do taste that. This I burns barrel. a lot, and this only burns yeah. a little. This <laughs> barrel the was smoke. great. It's smoky. Um, <laughs> I activated smoky. it with a little no, no, bit no, of water <laughs> in this one. Yeah, it's crazy. Like no one really can appreciate it. But we're downing these shots of whiskey, and when you're young. You're like, I'm going to live forever. I don't feel anything. Um, and I didn't. So we go through the night. <laughs> think I mildly black out. But the next day we're done, right? We're done and we're taking the van back to London after this big month of a hit, hit show. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> we're going back and I start getting super car sick. Ooh. And, you know, after a night, and just like taking these samples of probably like 20 little shots of whiskey, right? And this is the good stuff because we're at like the home of whiskey. Scotch whiskey, you know. Right. And <laughs> everyone's kind of sleeping and um, I don't want to gross anyone out, but I open yeah. the window and I don't know why because I just, I have this thing where like I don't want to like disrupt anyone and I don't want people to know that like I couldn't hang or I couldn't handle it. So I just quietly just start <laughs> throwing up outside the, <laughs> out the window. <laughs> And I'm sure they could hear because it was like, Ugh. Right? like and I, it was a lot. It was so much <laughs> puke. And I remember we stopped to get gas. Like, <laughs> and never we all go, you couldn't you couldn't throw a pile. Not quietly. I never, tried, never. and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to be I so. Could do it. I know. I was like, kind of looking around to see if everyone was still kind of sleeping, and I was <laughs> just like doing it. Um, <laughs> And so we get out, we get out, and everyone looks at the side of the van, and it's covered. The entire side looks like it was, like, stuccoed, right? Like someone just stuccoed the side. And I just go, what happened? (laughs) What happened? I probably still had it like around my mouth, you know, <laughs> like a kid that ate all the cake and is like, "Oh my gosh, who did that? That's so crazy!" So <laughs> obviously it was me, and they're like, "We could hear you like silently gagging up there." Did they no say that? Was, they yeah, they're like, like yeah. "We heard you doing it," but it was like, "What are you? What are you gonna do?" But I thought I was like going. I thought I was projectiling it enough that in all of it, I mean, everything was on in like fifty the mile per hour winds. Oh right. yeah, just like, and it was so. Cool. I remember being so so cold and just that feeling. And I was like 20, so even now, I I remember it being so cold and just like (laughs) trying to like coldly vomit outside a window. And I wish there was like more of like a moral to that story. (laughs) (laughs) Because like literally later that year, we went to like Spain for spring break and it was like, Hash and the whole thing all over. Hash and mullets is all I remember from Spain. So I didn't really learn anything. You yeah. just you, you just kind of go through it and try not to get caught puking so no one thinks you're a wuss. And, uh, yeah, I think that that was my first time. And there's no pictures. No pictures, no evidence. Nobody in this group had a camera? Well, I don't, no one, like, now, like, all that stuff's gone. No one, like, kept albums. Like, I don't think anyone would. I, I oh, I kept albums. Are you sure? You know, there's somebody yeah, who I kept, kept albums. Were there no women on this trip? No. Uh, well, there were a couple, but the, everyone was so out of their minds. It was, it was like, we were all in theater school. No one was keeping track. Oh, if anything. anybody's listening and they have a picture from oh, this yes, trip. Oh, yes. If you have picture. it from 12th Premise, the Edinburgh Film Festival in <laughs> 2002. We need to see it. Two, 2002. Circa. Yay! <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, Alex. Okay. 
Well, let's see. Um, so, um, I grew up a little country boy <laughs> <laughs> on the outskirts of Austin, Texas. Um, and when it came to picking, like, a language you study in high school, I chose German. Um, I don't know why. I wanted to do it in eighth grade, but not enough people wanted to do it, so I, um, had to wait another year. Um. Story of your life. Yeah. Always waiting. Yeah. Um, most people took Spanish or French, so there's a likelihood I did it just to be different. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, and then, so my second year, my sophomore year, second year of studying German, our teacher, who we just called Frau, um, <laughs> pitched the idea of an exchange program with a teacher that was a friend of hers in Germany. And so, um, you know, we ran that by the parents, and like maybe like nine of us were like, we'll do it. So, That's great. Uh, yeah, in the spring of um, my sophomore year, uh, Jeanette Reinschmidt came over and stayed with me um, as like my um, mm. my international sibling. <laughs> she was lovely. Uh, she's awesome. Was she the same age? Same age. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, sixteen. Like, I, I was fifteen. Um, and then they came for like maybe five six weeks. Went to school for four weeks and then traveled for like two weeks. And then in June we went to stay with them in Germany in the Black Forest, which is mm. gorgeous. That's the candle. That's the candle. Right? I was brought, we, black forest? Alex came bearing a gift, a black forest candle. It smells like Germany. Mm-hmm. Not, not, <laughs> not like the ham. <laughs> or the cake. Or the cake. Yes. Yeah. Like the echoes of the woods. Yeah. Um, and it is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's known for being one of the prettiest parts of Germany, and it really is. It's like hills and little lakes and creeks. Um, and so, uh, you know, we flew to Frankfurt, uh, and then uh, kind of like the first thing that really hit me was when we're waiting for the train in Frankfurt for take it down to like the Black Forest, is like a magazine kiosk on the train track, and the side of it, you know, in glass, is all pornography, <laughs> you know, like all magazines. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, budding gay 15, 16-year-old me was like, <laughs> you know, clutched my pearls and was like, <gasps> And you're just traveling with her. So it's just, no, no, it's, oh. uh, well, yeah, just her and her boyfriend and then, like, the nine of us. The kid, so, but it's all kids. Yeah. Okay. So it's all, and we're all mostly the same age, all sophomores, maybe, yeah, I think we were more or less all sophomores, maybe a couple of juniors. So all 15 or 16. And just heard her strange boyfriend, who we had never met before, but was great. And their relationship seemed, uh, you know, delicate. <laughs> uh, so they had a lot of alone time. Um, but yeah, there was like, you know, and it wasn't like America where it's like up on the shelf and, you know, right there. plastic. It was like, wow, there's butts and boobs like right there. And even the covers were more graphic. Um, but nobody seemed to mind. It didn't seem like a big thing. But of course, in the film version, it's like the busy city, and then just a child going, <laughs> jaw open, going, porn, like Home Alone. <laughs> um, and then we get to the Black Forest, and it's beautiful. Um, and Jeanette's house is like a German like fantasy. You know, it's like a little triangle gingerbread house, and her grandmother lives downstairs, and her grandmother brings like fresh milk in the morning from the cow across the street. <laughs> you can see the Alps in the distance. It's like a fairy tale. And there's a gigantic um, bus bar next door. Like the family actually owned a travel agency company, so they had like nine of these really beautiful like Euro travel coaches. 
Um, so that was cool. <laughs> and uh, the first day of school, like the next day, we, we go down to the end of the driveway, wait for the bus that left earlier. <laughs> and then it pulls up, and we're the last ones to get on the bus because I guess we're on the way into the town where the school is. And all of my you know, classmates and their like, host siblings are on the bus. And immediately I'm like, this is... <laughs> This is my bus. <laughs> <laughs> my family owns this bus. <laughs> I was being really gross about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this isn't my bus. Um, and we go to school, and school there is like a little different. Like, um, like the big meal in Germany is lunchtime. Um, it was then. And so you go to school from like 7 a.m. to like 1, and then you go home and have lunch, and that's it. So already I was like, that's a half day. That's great. Oh, that's the whole day. That's the whole back. day. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and then you awesome. have cake at four. <laughs> you have cake every day at four. Yeah. Uh, and then like a really light dinner, sort of like the American version of lunch. It's just like inverted that's for some reason. That's actually perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty that's great. Um, no poop baby there. No yes. poop baby. Everything's good. You're firing. Yeah. No. It's like, it's like uh, what people are doing now where they kind of power eat. During a couple hours. <laughs> Paleo. I don't know what it's called. Um, but, the, but the school was really great. And they gave us a classroom. And maybe because it was summer. Or, you know, we weren't, like, in school technically. Because when the Germans came to our school, they went to every single class. They had, like, a full schedule. They went to every class. But um, they just kind of gave us this room to hang out in. And so we never went to class. <laughs> I was like, why did they give us this room? Uh, the one class we liked going to was their English class. And it wasn't like, it was specifically American English. And at 16, it's sort of like their senior year. By the way, this is more like a collection of moments. This isn't like a singular story. <laughs> That's fine. But That's I'm, right. I'm really going to tie it together at the end. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> we love this We love this I'm going somewhere. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, but so, it's, so in a way, it was sort of like their, can I curse? Is that, sure, It's please. sort of like their fuck-off class in a way because it's like at 16, you after 16, after kind of like the American version of a sophomore year, you decide to either go to trade school or get ready for university or sort of done with like your primary education. So they were already like at the end and they were just like, well, I guess we'll take American. <laughs> <laughs> but it really like surprised me because I never thought about English that way. Mm -hmm. I always thought I spoke English uh -huh. and like that was what English was. And it really like contextualized my life in a different way where I was like, oh, I don't speak English. <laughs> I mean, like, because they had already studied English for years and then they were like, well, we'll, we'll do American as well. Um, but that I was like, oh, I speak, a, I speak like a slang version of English. You know, that American is like this kind of like... It's Bastardized. This other thing. Yeah. And it just had never occurred to me. Um, so our structure was sort of like we'd go to school for a week and then travel for a few days as just the Americans and then go to school and travel. Um, but we took one little day trip to Switzerland on one of my buses. <laughs> <laughs> on one of the buses I owned. Um, to this anatomical museum in Switzerland. But um, on the way there... <laughs> Wait, yes. will you get back to that? Oh, I, yeah. So, to, okay. yes. so um, okay. and this was, this was not just that those are the Americans, but it was also like our whole class, which was only like 30 people. So it was like our German siblings, their classmates, and the nine of us, and our teachers. So it was like maybe 30 of us went on this bus for the day. And right away, the boys like in the back popped open a couple of beers. And, of course, I clutched my pearls. <laughs> and I was, I was shocked. I was like, oh, my God, we're going to get in so much trouble until I remembered my German education where I was like, oh, they can drink at 16 in Germany. It's like the legal drinking age. 
Um, so I thought they're probably not supposed to be drinking, but it's not technically illegal for them to be doing so. And then they put on some music. <laughs> and, you know, it was, like, it was like a party. We were going to Switzerland <laughs> on my bus. And, um, and it was like, you know, very graphically sexual, um, you know, hip-hop American music. And it took me a second. You know, we were so shocked because it was just, I was like, you know, you know, do this to my punani. <laughs> you know, like all, you know, I was such a goody two shoes. I love that song. I love that song. <laughs> but it was two live crew. And we all figured that out. And we're like, and that was that window in time of dating myself where that album was actually banned. Like you couldn't play it on the radio. You couldn't sell the album because it was deemed obscene. Uh-huh. So it was actually criminal. And so back home, where I was from, I was like, this is illegal. <laughs> All of this is illegal. <laughs> that, that they were drinking and were listening to, like, banned music. Other than Me So Horny, which I think they were allowed to play. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons. Yeah. Everyone loves Me So Horny. <laughs> but, um, but it was just another one of those moments where I was like, oh, God, like... I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like, this is illegal where I'm from. Like, and that's the weirdest way. So then we can go to this anatomical museum. <laughs> and, um, it's sort of like body worlds. It's like that, but like, but way, like, worse or more graphic. <laughs> I mean, it's totally scientific. There was nothing sensationalized about it or, you know, uh, you know, it's scandalous. It was just straight up, like, scientific um, anatomical museum. But it was giant glass um, boxes filled with formaldehyde and, and just floating dead bodies <laughs> of, of all ages adults elderly children everything and like you know one, you know all these individual and they're just like in in, <laughs> in this bodies. thing real bodies and then there were there were like deformed you know deformities oh, and like oh people with spine you know like two oh, huge spine like two headed people there? probably um and it was like kind of a low budget B body work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I would love it. Like, it felt very like timeless. <laughs> yeah, like, a bog. It was like I don't know how old those bodies were, but um, <laughs> but and you know, and also, you know, full nudity because they were you know and I was like, you know, I'll you know yes, dead nudity, but, but fifteen, still. sixteen, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> And so, oh, man. because I was like full, full sack, full peen, you know, full taint, all of it, you know, and I'm like, show, show it to me. Just the taint going against the shaking the box. The glass. Are they, are they kind of moving slightly? Or are they like, settled? They're pretty settled. They're pretty settled at this point. But there's definitely like, you know, they're. I mean, I think they must have been, you know, somehow like wired in there. Yeah, but like they that. weren't like. But it wasn't. Completely secured. So there was a sense of like a little bit of drifting, drifting, yeah. floating pubes. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember some gray pubes specifically. <laughs> but it was another one of those things where I just thought I was like, you know, I was from Texas and I was from Austin, which was, you know, pretty, pretty liberated. But it's still Texas. And I just thought this would never be allowed. Like this would net this. They would this would be shut down as some type of like freak show or something, you know. Pornography. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically yeah. it would be obscene. Um, um, yeah, and then that night, we got home that night just in time for dinner and my, my host mom put down just a couple of sensible small pork kebabs. It was, <laughs> it was German dinner, so slight. So it was the exact color of like gray pews. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I politely passed. And I became a vegetarian that day for like 10 years. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Um, just a fun fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Being a vegetarian in Germany is not easy. No, because it's all sausage. Yeah. It's all sausage and spätzle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the last part, the last part of the trip is um, we just took a trip, the nine of us, to Munich. And that was, this was sort of like, we had taken a few little side trips for a couple of days, but this was like maybe like five days in the heart of Bavaria where Oktoberfest is. It's a beautiful, huge city. Um, <clears throat> and we're walking through like this giant, their central park. It's gorgeous. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm always on, <laughs> I don't know how, but I'm always like on... <laughs> Nudity watch, I guess. <laughs> you know, again, I was very actively budding as a young gay. Uh, and also in complete denial. So it was like just that, I don't know, the compression was just had me haywire. Um, but all of a sudden I see like some boobs, you know, and then I see a butt. And then I see <laughs> peen and sack and pubes. What do you mean all of a sudden in the, in we're just, where? We're just walking through the park. You mean uh, people? Yeah, yeah, we're just walking through a park and then kind of this like, like, leisurely meadow section I'm just like suddenly I'm like oh there's just people lying around naked reading yeah. books standing mm. up talking to each other naked <laughs> and we're just like high school students with our teacher walking through and again it was that thing where I clutched my pearls I was like ah scandal but no one cared and it was so I think I'd never seen that before I was like oh it's no big deal it's nothing um uh, so, you know, and, you know, it was, I, like, definitely was, like, the last one. <laughs> like, the whole group moves on, and I'm, like, coming. Um, just because, you know, i got to clock everything I can take. <laughs> um, because I don't know what, I mean, this is the, my first, you know, now this is my second penis of this trip. This one's yeah. alive. And of my life. It's yeah, alive. and this one's living. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> living, breathing. Yeah, have you seen a penis in real life like that? I think we had found a Playboy, like a crumpled up dirty Playboy. But in real, like, Oh, in real life? life? Was that your No, only penis? in, like, gym class in the shower, which I was terrified. And so, like, I was, like, you know, classic, maybe gay child thing of just, I was like, don't look, don't look, don't look. Blinders, right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, get, get your clothes on and get out of there as fast as you can. Just because it was sheer terror for me. Yeah. So I hadn't. I don't think I'd ever looked, except maybe the coach came out once and was like, <laughs> that kind of thing, <laughs> which now sounds like assault. But <laughs> you were assaulted. That's what you bring in around to. He was drawing himself off. Yeah, kind of. He was just like talking to us, and I was just like, pack up, get out. Wait, why is the coach taking the shower? That's what. It's a great question. <laughs> He was taking a shower. I thought he just yeah. like they fell well, out of his shorts. He, he was in the no, shower. No, no, he took a shower. He was telling off. Oh, <laughs> okay. He know. wasn't Coach Sandusky. Wasn't his name? Was it? Um, please no. give his full name. <laughs> Wait, and Alex, these would have been uncircumcised penises as well. Yeah, but they were a little too far away to see that necessarily. The formaldehyde ones, though. Well, the, yes, those. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, the park ones were a little, a little more distance. <laughs> now the conclusion that they were uncircumcised. Are we just because they were in Europe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Did you know Iceland is outlawing? Circumcision? No, I didn't. They're, or they're trying to pass it. Sorry. Interesting. No, interesting. I mean, I'm for that, but the law seems... Yeah. Well, I guess. My body, my yeah. choice. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. um, but then we went to the Hofbräuhaus, which is like yes. the most notable German beer hall. And my parents are cool. And, you know, because I was such a goody-goody, I don't think they worried about me. But most of the parents signed a waiver beforehand saying that we could drink at the Hofbräuhaus as part of this like German cultural experience that the teacher felt like would be, you know, a cool thing mm -hmm. to have. And it was everything you imagine, polka bands playing <laughs> and just like hundreds of people. And they only beers only come in one size, which is a liter. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I, I made quick work of my light beer. <laughs> I drank the whole thing. And then I had like half of somebody else's. And, um, and you know, I was pretty drunk. And, uh, but it was fine. I think I was definitely the drunkest. But like, my, I, I, it was kind of life changing. It really like, I just kind of like, we were on the train going back to our youth hostel, and I just started acting like myself. I mean, I was like, how I normally act. And people were like, wow, I didn't know you were so fun and funny. And I was like, yeah, I'm drunk. <laughs> um, but it was, um, but then we got back to the youth hostel, and it was kind of early. And uh, we decided, you know, we should, a few of us were like, we should sneak out for a, a little more booze, because we saw this place on the way back. So four of us snuck out. And we went to a, like, kind of, it, lo- it looks like a fast food restaurant, but it, it was a kind of a restaurant called Der Wienerwald, which means literally the Wiener Forest. <laughs> <laughs> I think they mean sausage, like a, you know, like you a, think, a, sh- yeah. a schnitzel sausage. <laughs> it was a nice place. The sausage forest. And we, um, we were like, let's just see what happens. And so we ordered, <laughs> you know, at our best German, best drunk German, we were like, Fia Orangensaft. Um, mit vodka bitter, just like four orange juices with vodka, please. Um, and they brought it to us and we were like, okay. And we each had a screwdriver (laughs) and then we just walked back to the, it was like maybe a mile and we walked back to the youth hostel and I just remember being very drunk, laughing a ton. I think we were like occasionally like pulling down our pants, you know, we were like, just like having so much Fun. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna I just remember walking and the moon was out and we pulled down our pants. No, wait, wait. you like to crack each other up and just being like, no, I'm not like falling down with your pants down kind of thing. Like the coach in the shower. <laughs> Casual <laughs> assault. Up <laughs> to each other. But just, I just remember, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, or I don't know if I thought this then, but I think it now that well, like we were 16, we were drunk, we were pulling down our pants. And no one cared because we weren't hurting anybody right. or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought, I think in Texas, like, they would have been on you so fast. because they were free. Looking right. for trouble in Texas. Yeah. And I just, I think at the end of the whole thing, I don't know if I even knew it then, but subconsciously, I think, you know, you think you grow up in this place that, like, I mean, and it is, like, where it's freedom and liberty and you can be and say and do anything you want. But then you have this experience young where you go, like, oh, but... It, it's almost truer here or truer in a different way here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it was like stuff I had never, I don't think I even knew that then, but it must have sat with me because then I got out of there pretty quick after that. <laughs> I, think, I think that is a really big lesson to learn when you go, like, as much as we have freedom here, most other places are more free of judgment mm. than this country. Mm-hmm. You know, because yes, we can say what we want and whatever, but. It's we like a judged. little more conservative than mm-hmm. you think, you yeah. know, and on a global scale. Yeah. Although, like, if you look at the whole world, we're probably mm. still way towards the end of of non-conservative. But, like, you can go somewhere else where you're like, oh, it's a little less conservative here in, in that way. Yeah, it's less buckled down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I so, love that image of the park, oh, too. Oh, I have one more thing. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's your story. <laughs> Is that okay? Don't, don't interrupt me. <laughs> don't interrupt me. <laughs> I forgot this one last thing because it is like it completes part of this. The, the yeah, it, but uh, so then the last night. So we go back. We go back to our host family for like two more nights. Maybe maybe two more nights. It was just to like kind of say goodbye. Basically, I don't think we even went to school. So maybe it was just a night. And I'm sitting with my host family and we're watching TV, and it's like um, there weren't that many channels, you know. So we're just watching their version of NBC, CBS, whatever, Fox, like uh, just the German network television. 
we're watching a movie, like a television movie called House Manor. Manor. It's like a house husbands is what it translates to, basically. Like, it's like the women are the ones that go to work, and the men, the two guys stay home, and they raise the kids. And Mr. Two, Mom. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mom. And, um, you know, it's just like, it seems it's fun enough. Um, and then, like, 20, 30, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is good. Um, um, better than you'd expect. And then 20, 30 minutes into it, um, there's a scene where... You know, the guy's at home, uh, you know, I guess he got his kids off to school, and so he's home, and he has to, like, he has a few minutes to take a shower. So he goes into the bathroom, and he starts undressing, and um, and then the camera, like, doesn't pan in. You know what I mean? It's like his pants come off, his <laughs> underwear comes off, and then he's standing there fully nude. And I was like, oh, <laughs> clutch my pearls. And I was like, they forgot to pan in. They forgot to cut in. You know what I mean? I'm like seeing everything. And I literally like turn and I look at my my family, uh, the mom, the dad, Jeanette, and her little sister who's like 13. And I look over like panicked, like just like waiting for, you know, someone to scramble for the remote or to like break the TV or like look away or scream or something or for any reaction. And they literally, there was zero reaction. Zero. And that was the most shocking moment of the whole trip to me because I just was sure I'd be in trouble. I don't know the, something. And they, I looked at them and I was like, they were just like laughing or they were just watching a movie. And they were watching a guy getting in the shower. And so very coolly, I was like, be cool. <laughs> um, you know, and I turned back and I was able to like, you know, <laughs> keep it together. And he got in the shower. He took a shower. Someone rang the doorbell in the movie and he had to like run to the front door and get a package. You know, he was a busy at-home dad. <laughs> but I was like, the whole time they were showing everything, and uh, you know, and anyway, that was the that was the most I think shocking difference mm. of the whole thing. Mm. Where you know, I just couldn't imagine that happening. I mean, maybe now if you had HBO or something, you could. But even then, it would be more like it would be on, on purpose and for a reason. Like yeah, there would be something right, mm. yeah. or some comedic value to it, or something. Yeah, this was just sort of regular. And it was nothing to them, even to all. And, like, their their girls were there watching, and it was... I always find it fascinating with stories like this because I always wonder, it, is your does your international sibling have a story about mm. that time? Mm. Because you're in her story. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's about that moment on the TV or not, but just coming here, what's her story? You know, like, yeah. that would be so interesting to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff she, that we thought was totally normal that she thought was insane. They yeah. did think that, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's stuff. The one thing they all immediately said, because we were like, what do you think so far? When they like first got there and were bombarding them with questions, they were like, there's so many signs. Because <laughs> yeah. I, like, I was like, oh yeah, every store, every street, everything, there's just, like, Rules there's so much signs, advertising. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, they, I get peen, they get advertising. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair trade. It's a fair trade. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. All right, Ian Bondsmith. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, I was thinking about what it means to go abroad. Um, beyond the sense that we all know it means to go generally to another country, usually separated by a large body of water. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think inherent in that is this idea that you're going to a foreign land. You're going to meet people that are different than you, that are, you know, cultures and customs that are, you know, different than yours. And we all might have preconceived notions about what that is and maybe (laughs) some judgments about what those things are. And and, uh, so I was thinking about, okay, um, 
I have done some traveling in my life in the more general sense of going abroad to another nation, but um, what are my experiences that I've had there, right? Like what are the, the preconceived ideas of where I was going that I had in my mind and how did that shape my experience of that, that place? So um, the first, so, so I guess then the broader sense of going abroad is stepping outside of your comfort zone and, and you know, uh, doing something new. So the first time then in that sense that I went abroad uh, was when I went to public school for the first time. Um, <laughs> uh, I did not grow up in Texas. I grew up in uh, Ojai, California, on what, uh, without getting into a whole nother two or three different uh, topics on the podcast, what could be very quickly summed up as a hippie commune. Um, <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard lots about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, we were kind of this, we were out in the east end of Ojai, um, and we were sort of seen as this very uh, interesting group of outsiders that everybody kind of wanted to know what we were all about, and all the kids our age wanted to come out there because, hey, it was great. Who wouldn't want to hang out in a place where adults aren't really watching you and everybody swims naked in the pool? It's, it's, it's you know, Germany. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was Germany. So, so I kind of, it was, right? So I grew Germany up with this sense of, um, you know, that I was uh, part of a unique group of people, and I was, in a sense, proud of that. Um, That's where he and I differ. Yeah. <laughs> in one way. Um, so when I was 14, I think, um, and got to the point where I wasn't doing much other than kind of tormenting my two younger sisters, my mother sort of said, okay, it's time for you to do something new. And yes, this, you know, avant-garde education that you've had here in the community is great. Yeah. Education, education in Education in, in air quotes. Um <laughs> You know, why don't you try public school? So off I go to Nordoff uh, High School in Ojai, California, and I suddenly felt like, you know, I, I think I went in there going, oh, God, I'm going to tell everybody about this great, unique person that I am, and, and they're just going <laughs> to want to be my best friend. Um, and I quickly found out that that was not the case, and I quickly found out that I was in remedial math classes, and I was a freshman in high school, and I was being teased incessantly, and uh, I was the immediate target for the one sort of, you know, James Dean motorcycle riding bully senior kid um, who decided one Halloween when he dressed with a sheet tied around his neck, or oh, I'm sorry, over his entire head with a rope around his own neck, sort of running around as this crazy ghost guy uh, with his mother's largest kitchen knife from his kitchen. Uh, <laughs> he decided that it would be funny at, uh, at the end of school while we we're all waiting for the bus to go after freshmen with these kitchen knives. So, um, needless to say, not the greatest experience as far as going abroad is concerned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but definitely and, uh, out of your comfort zone. Definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, so two years into high school, I went to my mother and I said, Mom, you know, okay, I'm not being threatened with knives anymore, but uh, I am kind of curious why they take so long in high school to teach so little. And at that point, my mother, being who she is, said, okay, time for something new again. And uh, I found myself um, joining a group, uh, an international crew of eight of us to start with, um, on a 84-foot Chinese junk, which was black with a red deck and 
Egyptian eyes painted on the front of this <laughs> ship, uh, which was named after uh, the philosopher Heraclitus. So here we are, here I am, uh, joining the Herac- crew of the Heraclitus. At 16. At, uh, at 16 years old. Um, like Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was actually a group called the Institute of Ecotechnics, and this was a group that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that had places all over the world, funded by a gentleman named Ed Bass, who was sort of the black sheep of the, Ed, of the Bass oil family in Texas. Oh, yeah. Um, one of, they had, they had um, projects set up all over the world. They had one in Kathmandu, they had a gallery, an art gallery in London, uh, they had two places in Australia, um, they had this ship that was touring all over the place. They had the Biodome, which and you know about. And then they did the Biosphere 2 project Biosphere. out in Oracle, Arizona, uh, where they had you know sealed off two and a half acres of land and threw eight people in there for a couple of years. Polish Shore in there. See how they, <laughs> exactly, the right. Um, well, they were like trying to create the Earth's atmosphere in... See if you could survive. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to, you know, create a sustainable sealed system. It was, I mean, there was a lot of the science and stuff that was, uh, you know, not done correctly. But all in all, it was a pretty cool idea. Didn't Steve Bannon have some weird connection to this? Bannon at the very end came in as a consultant, and and I actually, (laughs) you and I were talking earlier about polarizing media, right? And and, uh, I'm actually very upset with Rachel Maddow the way she reported that a year ago because she kind of used the biosphere project as a whole as a means to just sort of get a slam on on Bannon. Bannon. And, and I'm a big fan of Rachel Maddow's, but I do have a problem with polarized media. But anyway, <laughs> uh, whether it's on the right or the left. So the, the ship is in lieu of school. So yeah, the ship was in lieu of my junior school. and senior. Life is school. Yeah, so okay. it was in, it <laughs> yes. was, that's how we were right. It was, you're not, you know, yes, you're right. High school takes too long to teach you too little. Take the GED and go do something else okay. for the final two years. So, so it was on the water. It was on the water. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Dry just down, a, a dog <laughs> boat that you didn't you live know. on a boat. No. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> so anyway, I joined the I joined the crew of the Heraclitus and, and you were, were you the only young person on the boat? There were no. Uh, there were two of us. Um, uh, my good friend, later girlfriend, Dara, was sixteen years old. But the whole crew was, and we ranged from about eight to fifteen people, and we all believe all of us were under twenty six years old. Um, from represented by I think six, six or seven different countries. We had people from Germany and Hungary and Australia and the United States. Um, I think a few others. Uh, in any case, um, I joined the crew in Savannah, Georgia, which uh, again going abroad for me um, because <laughs> we ended up docking uh, and getting prepared for our trip, which was EXA, the expedition to circumnavigate South America, and the idea we were going to go down the west coast of South America, um, down to Antarctica, and back up the east coast, uh, and finish off in the, in the Caribbean, in Puerto Rico, which was the, uh, the ship's home port. Um, so I joined in, in Savannah, Georgia, um, terribly homesick, 16 years old, um, and just not wanting to be there at all, getting on the phone with my mother every day, you know, saying, let me come home, let me come home, <laughs> let me come home. Um, Finally, the expedition chief of the ship said to my mother, look, he's kind of bumming everybody out. <laughs> you got to get him off the ship. So I was actually shipped off to Puerto Rico to another one of these projects where I lived for about six months um, in a, an experimental rainforest up in there. So that's what? not the end of the boat? No, 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 no the boat no, comes no. back. <laughs> boat comes back. Um, but I did spend about six months in Puerto Rico um, 
mostly in the rainforest and also coming down into Old San Juan where they owned a, a cafe. And so I would, I would help out during the San Sebastian Festival, and, uh, which is like a two-week party. Highly recommended. That counts as a, <laughs> a geography credit, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would <laughs> think so, right? I never actually put all that together as to what I could maybe get for college credit, but what hand. Um, so um, the ship comes back around, because like I said, Puerto Rico is its home port. Um, and so the ship comes back around. There's this big party. I, at this point, am no longer terribly homesick. And I reunite with these people who, for a couple of weeks, I was you know, in Savannah, Georgia, getting eaten alive by mosquitoes with. And, um, and so I said, oh, okay, I've you know, done the rainforest thing. I'm going to jump back on the ship, and, and we're going to go around South America. So we cruise throughout the Caribbean. It's you know, kind of an extension of the San Sebastian Festival, big party, doing lots of diving on beautiful coral reefs and all this great stuff. Um, and then we get ready to we go through the Panama Canal, which is incredible, um, incredible space. Um, lost my virginity while going through the Panama Canal. Wow, Fantastic. Going <laughs> well, there's a there's a lake you you, you uh, go you know a canal you sail into these locks and they pump water up and then you get up to this mountain lake. So they basically they raise your ship up through these series of locks. Wow, um, wow. to get you up to the level of the lake and then you spend a day sailing across the lake. You anchor and then that following day you go down the locks. And you've now moved from the Caribbean through the locks system into the Pacific Ocean. Oh, wow. Um, so, <laughs> so again, uh, in the broader sense of going abroad, I uh, lost my virginity <laughs> in the lake, mountain lake above uh, the Panama Canal. And, um, and she's still your friend today. She is. Um, That's crazy. And so we sail out into the Pacific Ocean where we are... Uh, you know, probably kind of given a briefing of what to expect in South America. You're no longer in Kansas anymore, Toto. Um, we are in South America. We're not in the Caribbean anymore. And here's the things you have to be careful of. You know, don't wear any watches because they will cut your hand off to take your watch. Don't, you know, make sure you put burlap over your backpacks because they will come and slash the bottom of your backpacks and just take all your stuff without you even noticing it. And, and um, so... The first port of call for us uh, was Buenaventura, Colombia. And this was at a time when Pablo Escobar was at the height of his power in Colombia. And, um, and so we're told, hey, Colombia is not a safe place, and so you be careful. And so all these preconceived notions about Colombia, Colombian people traveling in Colombia. Um, so we come in kind of at night, um, we anchor out in the harbor, and, uh, and I'm put on deck watch. 16-year-old kid to, you know, guard the boat from, you know, the Medellin Cartel. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, so my job is to, hey, Ian, any, any boat that kind of motors around, a little motorboat or anything, we've got this super high-powered lamp, and we're going to just shine this lamp right at this boat coming around, you know, um, really ingratiating ourselves to, to the native folks there. Um, so that's what I did. And, you know, <laughs> the very next morning we get a call from the harbor master that says, uh, you're not welcome here. Get out. Because uh, so, you were just trying to light everybody. We were not, yeah, being very gracious guests, I guess. Um, so they did allow us um, to come ashore, a small group of us, three of us, um, to come ashore to replenish our supply of food. And, and I think they did send a, uh, a water and, uh, and diesel uh, ship out to, to fill our tanks and things like that. Um, 
so I got to go in and, and see the incredible markets in Buenaventura and, and uh, but all the time, of course, you know, being careful that I don't get my hand cut off and my backpack <laughs> slashed and, and that was my mentality being there. And so that kind of colored my experience of, you know, what otherwise is Pablo Escobar notwithstanding a pretty amazing place. Um, so, you know, we get all of our supplies, including, you know, some nice Ziploc bags of, uh, of coca leaves and the associated, um, uh, limestone that you're supposed to apparently grind up a little bit and chew while you're chewing these coca leaves <laughs> sold to us by seven year old children running around. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and back on the ship we go and, um, and then we get to uh, the next port of call, or next couple. We actually went through um, Ecuador, a couple of places, and we go into Callao, Peru, which is right near Lima. It's the port near Lima. And uh, once again, I'm on deck watch, the first. And we're, we're tied up against the, the dock this time instead of anchored out in the harbor. And, um, and I'm on deck watch, and I'm kind of dozing off. It's early, early, early in the morning. And and I hear some rustling on the deck and I open my eyes and there's this person on the deck and I jump up and he sees me and I see him and he jumps onto the dock and I jump onto the dock and I start chasing this guy down this dock and halfway through and I'm, I'm gaining on him and for some reason feeling good about this. Um, and, and just as I am about to catch up to him, I realize what the fuck am I gonna do if I catch this guy? And, and finally I yell, hey! And he stops and he turns around and it, it can't be, you know, he's a young, not as young as I was, but, you know, he's probably early 20s and, and he's holding a rigging tool called a FID and a small rigging knife in his hand. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I think we both have the same kind of idea, like, wh what is going to happen here? <laughs> what, what, what's going on? And, and, uh. And without saying anything, I think we both kind of took a step back from each other. Um, and he put down the knife and he held up the fid, which, and, and I kind of... taken it from the boat? It, these are things he had taken off of our mm -hmm. deck, uh -huh. right? And, uh, and here I was, I guess, at 16, feeling like I had to get these two, you know, tools back, which were... It was on your watch. Yeah, it was on my watch. It was, you know... <laughs> it's uh, your job. So, you know, I... I uh, he put the knife down and took two or three steps back, sort of making it clear to me like he wasn't going to attack me or anything. And at that point, I realized I didn't have any animosity towards him. And, and you know, I kind of felt like, wow, he kind of risked a lot to jump on this strange ship where he had no idea what would happen to him to try to scrounge and scavenge a couple of little tools or whatever he could get his hands on. Um, and, and so it kind of... Something in me changed in that moment, I think, where, you know, here I was from, coming from Colombia and now down into Peru and, and not all by any means of my experience throughout the, the continent thus at that point um, had been negative and been great, but I had this underlying sense of distrust for the people that I met. Um, and I kind of held my hands up and I motioned to him that he should keep the fid that he was holding. Um, and I picked up the knife, and we both kind of walked back our own ways. And, and uh, it, you know, I don't know if there was a switch for me in that moment. I've thought about it a lot um, since then, because from that time on, I think I was a lot more relaxed, and maybe I was just maturing. I don't know. But um, 
I was a lot more relaxed with the people that I met and I was less suspicious of them when I first met them. And as a result, you know, going forward, I had very few of those types of experiences. <laughs> and, and, and so there's two other kind of quick little stories, if, if it's okay, that yeah. I'll share um, sort of with my transformed outlook of, of what it meant to meet new people in a new country and sort of go abroad in a totally different sense. You know, or with with a different outlook, I guess, than than I had going to to Colombia. Um, so the first was in uh, Puerto Montt, which is this um, beautiful little port in Chile, um, and we tied up next to it. Uh, the tidal fluctuation in this area is huge. So you know, in the morning you'd be down here. I'm sorry, we were tied up against a huge container ship. So in the morning we'd be you know looking up at the people the container ship 15 feet above us. Um, because the ship was that much taller than us, um, but then they had these gangplanks, and and so in the afternoon we would rise. It, uh, I don't want to get into that anyway. Um, but the bottom line is, every day this guy um, who we called came to come Basura Man was his name to us anyway. He would row by in this rowboat yelling Basura, Basura, and he's down on the water, and we're up in these taller ships. Basura, he's trash, right? Trash. He's looking for trash. And, uh, and you'd see him go along the, the, the port and everybody would lower down whatever they had to dispose of to him. And from boats. From boats, yeah. And he was in his little rowboat and he'd pile it all up and you'd see every day it would start low and pile everything up. And, and, um, and so, you know, my initial thought is, guys, what is this? What is the subsistence that this guy has, right? Like what must be a terrible life that this guy leads? Um, again, pre- preconceived notions, right? Of you know, he's collecting trash. <clears throat> he must be a horribly <laughs> destitute, destitute man, human yeah. being, right? right? Um, so we kind of, what I thought, took pity on this person, and you know, gave him things that weren't necessarily things we were going to throw out, and um, and but one of the things he wanted more than anything were these five-gallon plastic jugs that we had lots of provisions in and things like that. And so we he was always very happy to see us. We'd give him these clear plastic jugs. And and um and when we left that port and sailed out, um we saw where where this man lived. He lived out on this little spit that we passed um on our starboard side as we sailed out. Um and there he was with his family and he had these these uh, five-gallon jugs were his seats, and he had, you know, a living room set up, and he had his family there, and he had built himself a, a house out of the stuff he had collected. And um, he, I mean, from the looks of it, loved it and enjoyed his life. And, and so who was I to sort of put my lens on who that person was just because he was, you know, collecting trash? Um when I got down to the very tip of South America, a little town called Ushuaia in Argentina, and, um, my 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 I, I think my shift was maybe not complete because I'm still probably shifting in my life, right? <laughs> um, and and learning more about what it is to to go abroad with uh, uh, experiencing new people in new places. But um, in Ushuaia. There was this family that owned a restaurant and ran a restaurant. It was the very first place we went when we got off the ship. And, and they welcomed us in. And it came to the point where at Christmas, we were there right around the holidays. And, and we had gotten to know them. And at Christmas time, they closed down their restaurant. And we came and 
we're going to have dinner and we knocked on the door and oh, we're closed and they, no, 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 they brought us in and we ended up eating dinner with 50 of their family members and, and it was sort of, um, I don't know, I'm not that I'm trying to put a ribbon on this story, but it, for <laughs> me, for me, there was a, a, a real fundamental shift in, in the way I looked at and approached new situations, new people going abroad um, in that grander sense. So I, I'm uh, very thankful to a lot of people, not the least of which is my mother who forced me and pushed me to do this, um, didn't let me come home when I was calling from Savannah, Georgia, uh, and come home and, and uh, torment my si- younger sisters some more instead. I had to go out and change my look on what it meant to, to go abroad. So. Wow. Thank wow. you. I, I've mentioned before um, on some story that we, some chapter of this, him coming home, because what was fascinating for me was we went to meet him at the gate. He'd been gone two years. I hadn't seen him in two years. Wow. And this is when you could go to the gate, right? Mm, so you're yeah, waiting yeah. at the end of the jetway, waiting for him to get off a plane, and my eyeline was wrong. Like I'm mm, looking, remember? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I'm looking here, but he comes back. Wow. He's this tall. Like he'd so changed. For me, it was like that was a marked surprise to me. I'm like, oh shit, you're up here, <laughs> and now hearing all that, like you were really up here, having nothing to do with height. Yeah, it, it was. Uh... That's fascinating. So, if there, if what was the overall point? Like, who got into that? Yeah, so it was, was people from all goal? over the the world. So there had to be people that knew about this this thing because I've never even heard of it. Yeah. So, I mean, what was the end? Like the result of like you're going on here and you're going to learn like life skills, what compassion. Like, yeah. like what was the emotional? I, it seems like it was a lot of emotional education. Yeah. So so it's funny. We always joked about that. You know. So we worked with uh, there were a couple of marine biologists on board. We worked with a guy named Roger Payne who was at that time at the University of Hawaii and he was sort of the humpback whale guy, right? Oh, okay. Um, so one of the things on the scientific level we did is we were chasing marine mammals and, and specifically humpback whales that travel all the way from Hawaii where they breed, down to the Antarctic where they feed, where there's krill and tons of stuff that they, that they feed on as primary food source. So um, we were doing some science. We were recording, um, you know, hydrophonically. We were, you know, recording their songs. If you've heard the Humpback song, I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever heard that. But um, we, were, uh, sure. chasing, chasing, sure. <laughs> we were chasing them down in small boats with, like, crossbows that had little straightened-out fish hooks on the end of these, these uh, darts, essentially, and they were wrapped in neoprene. So you'd get up behind a whale and try to get them right behind the dorsal fin. Um, and they have like a foot and a half of blubber, right? So it kind of, you, you hit them and then you chase them because they barely feel it. You chase them until they dive. The neoprene pops out the little sample of about this big and then you mm. freeze it and send it to Roger Payne. And he can, by that genetic material and by taking a photograph of their fluke as they dive, a humpback's fluke is like a human fingerprint. If you analyze it, you can identify an wow. individual um, whale. So we kind of helped him track their migration all the way down wow. to the Antarctic. But well, that was something too about the um, um, coral reefs. We were also doing some. Uh, we took some samples when we were up in the Caribbean of coral that ultimately went into the Biosphere Two project because they had an ocean biome that they had there. So mm. so some of our samples went into there. We also served as a, like sort of a, a place for the biospherians, as they were meant to be called. <laughs> um, we had two or three of them come and live on the ship for, I think, three or four weeks. A couple of voyages they did with us just to get used to living in super confined space mm. with lots of people. And 
Um, and then I think more than anything, it was a study of human dynamics. You know, <laughs> I yeah. think that you know the Institute of Ecotechnics, this broader group, their their philosophy was how do we take you know this rampant technology that just keeps advancing, advancing, advancing. And use it, don't deny it, but don't let it destroy the ecology, right? So ecotechnics. Um, and, you know, I think they had some pretty far out ideas about taking one of these modules up to Mars at some mm-hmm. point in the future. So they were very interested in the human dynamics part of it. How do you have, you know, eight to 15 people living on an 84 foot boat for two years and through hurricanes and through, you know, going around Cape Horn and traveling to Antarctica in a concrete boat, which nobody should ever do, right? So, um, wow. so yeah. Didn't you guys get stuck once? Down where? I don't know. I feel like you got stuck in ice or something. We didn't get, we never got stuck in ice. We did get, uh, the strongest winds we ever had were from mainland Peru. We went out to a little island uh, that's actually a Chilean island um, called uh, Islas Juan Fernandez which is the island that Robinson Crusoe was, uh, you know, stranded on. And his little cave and stuff is still mm-hmm. there and preserved. And, and we had hurricane-force winds going out there that snapped a lot of our um, rigging and things like that. And um, so it was pretty hairy. So outside of the younger people, everyone was there on their own will. They had, like, found out about it. it. As far as I know. Some of you guys were, like, sent on this. And it almost has, like, you know, like, almost a... Child abuse? (laughs) Almost like a walkabout feel where you go out to become... Well, one of our sisters actually went out to Australia to the Outback. I mean, that's... I mean, that's... Like, that stuff... This stuff is... Is fascinating. Like, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating that you were doing all that stuff at such a young age and, like... Because, like, the science that we learn in school, no one's really, like, remembering the the whale <laughs> stuff we're learning. But you're remembering those experiences. It's just, it's it's fascinating that that was, like, an education. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because I... There was I, no specific structure. Like, oh, we're learning about this today. We're learning about that. But you're so, like, involved in the human dynamic that that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the running of a you know an operational vessel is is you're learning so much about teamwork and about, you know, coordination and... and it's that apprenticeship, right? Mm-hmm. It's that apprenticeship thing that I think we, you know, going back to Europe and differences in Europe, right? Um, I think that still happens there, I think, to a large degree. Not maybe like it did back in the day, but um, I think we lost it a long time ago in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our educational system is not set up that way at all. And, you know, I, now that I have a young son, I have a 13-year-old son. He's my eldest child. And, you know... I can see that our educational system doesn't serve him as well as it should, and yet I don't know if I would have the balls to, yeah, to yeah. ship him if out you can do to that, it, right? Yeah. right? So that's why I say I, I, you know, I'm glad I came home in one piece and you know didn't end up you know in pieces in Colombia, but but I do say after after having lived through it that I'm so grateful to sure. to my mother for. Being, you know, having the balls to that do that. That seems I mean, so intense so, for your mom yeah. to even send you away for two years. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, she yeah. was fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, I mean, you were all there. During, I mean, I know this is a whole other yeah. podcast because so this, is, this is incredible. Yeah, I think you should take up from here uh, your story. Oh, right? my story has nothing to do with his story. I know. I just oh. want to see. Oh, okay. The flip side of the Smith's experiences abroad. All right. Well, I was not on a boat. I was. I was um, only. What's the, the age difference? Sorry. What's your? Oh, uh, we're. Your I'm four years older. Okay. Um, the three youngest kids in my family all were sent off 
to a chapter of this group. So my sister Barbara went to Australia and like milked horses. And my <laughs> sister Autumn went to France. She got off. She was like in, in Aix-en-Provence in the south of France, oh like growing gosh. thistles or whatever. That she, she was really young. They were so young. My mother was fine. She had no kids. Um, she had two years off. Um, <laughs> that's my my slant um, just as an aside just recently this week at this week I was in New York and we were we were actually talking about the art of storytelling and um, as a part of this conference that I was attending and we listened to a podcast a uh, TED talk um, which I recommend highly and it's called the danger of a single story and it and it's exactly what you're talking about it's like the danger of only what you know and how much of a blinder that is. And it, mm-hmm. it's written uh, and presented by this Nigerian woman who's exquisite in her presentation and her speaking. is just beautiful and her, her essay is gorgeous. And it's all about, uh, you know, how, how, how she perceived being seen as a Nigerian African woman in, by the Western world and then also her own experience of like having one story about like how you were saying like this is my one story about Colombians they're going to cut my hand off mm-hmm. that's the one story you have and right. then uh, coming face to face with that young man you had one story about these people mm-hmm. and then you, that story changed in that moment it's yeah. fascinating to me um, alright so I should just go right into my story. <laughs> it's going to be so nothing after that. Um, I'm going to try to do this very quickly because I, I will say this. This is not my first time I'm loosely interpreting this, but this was this is my first. Um, there was a lot of adventure on this story, so I, I picked this one. Because uh, my first time abroad was England, and I, I had a blast, but it was just alcohol. Um, <laughs> that was the end of the story. So this story is a little more interesting. Um, so I went to Amsterdam and well, if we, we, I went with my, this was um, my, uh, my good friend Keith who also lived at Jarma. He's really like a brother to us. I've spoken about him before. Um, he and I have traveled many places together and um, this trip we were going to Amsterdam. We Flew first through England, so we had a layover, very brief layover at Heathrow. I don't even think we left the airport, but we were supposed to have an eight-hour layover on the way back to the plan as we would, like, go into England. And we'd been to England together. He was part of that first trip. So we were like, we'll go, we'll, just because we were backpacking young, like, we didn't have a lot of stuff with us. We'll just run into, into the city, and we'll go to a pub, and then we'll come back and get on the plane. Like, that was the plan. So off to Amsterdam we go. We're very excited for so many reasons. Like, you know, we're going to go to this beautiful country, but they, you know, there's marijuana that's legal there, and um, we're going to see artwork, and you know, there's marijuana that's legal there, and, um, and there's the Heineken Brewery, and there's marijuana that's legal there. Like, and um, so we were very excited, and we had very little money. We were staying, like, our hotel room, when I think about it now, like, if, if I walked into that hotel room today, and first of all, like, I was in New York this past week, and I was, I was such a fucking bitch about my hotel. Like, <laughs> the lamp is crooked! <laughs> um, I can the neon through the windows! Like, using all my hair clips to close the blinds. This hotel room was not a hotel room. It was a, uh, it looked like a prison room uh, cell. It was the cinder block room in this really unattractive building um and it had a little corner sink and then the toilet and everything else is down the hall it's like a hostel but not not even as nice as a hostel um and but it didn't matter we weren't we weren't going to be in the room we're going to be out in amsterdam and out (laughs) there was a window a small window and you could see this little 
um, Brown Cafe, which is uh, where you can go and get uh, weed right out the window. Like, it's right there, the Mecca. And uh, <laughs> and we were just, we were best friends, and we had traveled, and we were just free wheeling and having fun. And we went out that first night, and um, we went into this one of these, you know, Brown Cafes, and we just were so stupid Americans, like, oh, how are we going to do this? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I think we were uh, 18 and 19, so... Um, and you could you know you walk in the place is filled with marijuana smoke. I mean it's obvious like this is what's happening here. Nobody's hiding it. This is legal. This is gonna happen. Sit at the table. How do you do this? You go talk to them. I'm not gonna do that. You go talk. You ask them. You ask them. And, oh, and then so I'm like all right I'm gonna go up to the bar. Like I go up to the bar because it's also a bar and a coffee place and whatever. And the guy behind the bar comes up and you have to imagine like how many stupid American or any kind of tourist has done this dance, right? Where you think <laughs> I sidling up to the bar, kind of trying to be confident and and uh and, order everything. And, yeah, like <laughs> what kind of beer do you have? What are the questions I was asking? It was stupid questions and then Finally, he goes, you want the weed? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 the weed. So then he hands us a, a menu. This was, blew my mind. Like, you open this menu, like a regular restaurant menu, but inside the restaurant menu are these little baggies, like little dime bags stapled into it with um, a little description of the high you'll get and the, and the strain of the weed. And he's, like, t- 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 taking me through it like a wine sommelier, like, walking us through this. And, and he's asking questions, like, well, how experienced are you? I'm very experienced. Are you really experienced? Because this stuff's really strong. No, I'm really experienced. Um, and like really, it's a like ordering how spicy do you want it? Exactly, like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> three peppers. Exactly, three peppers. Um, and then, you know, finally like choosing it and just being like feeling that rush of like, oh my God, we're doing this. Like like you were saying, like it, it, Alex in, in Germany, like they're opening the beer and like, oh, but it's legal. Like it's fine. Yeah. But still like, oh, I can't believe we're in a public yeah, place. Like, still taboo. Panic response is yes. still like yeah. All of that's in, yeah. And then realizing, oh shit, well we have no way to smoke this. And then like I ran down the street to like what, like a little bodega and bought a pipe. Like just walked in and bought a pipe. Like this is crazy. They don't provide like no, pipes. they didn't have anything. I don't know. Maybe they did, but I didn't ask. And so then and then like sitting there in public smoking marijuana and drinking strong coffee. And this is insane. And then we went out into the night and we walked through the um, red light district. And then again that same thing of like. I immediately felt my American, mm. Americanized conscience come up and like judge these women in these windows like immediately, and then immediately felt ashamed of myself of like, what are we doing? This is their body. They're choosing to do this. It's legal here. This is like what? Who? I don't care. I, I have no judgment about this. But I had I had, I was fully aware of my education as an American creeping into my consciousness at that in that moment of like I'm completely judging these people having nothing to do with who I really am but what I've absorbed living where I live that I'm supposed to judge these people um so there was that part of it and then we went on this massive ferris wheel this giant ferris wheel I'd never seen anything like it and um and it was a clear night and there was this huge moon out and like we get to the top and Keith was freaking out and I was like shaking the car- the cart and he was <laughs> screaming at me and I was like, This is awesome you know. I was just so I I just love to travel. I love it. I love airports. I don't love them as much as I used to because there's so much bullshit in airports now, but I just used to love like only good things happen at airports, you know? It's like 
I know it's not that way anymore, but like <laughs> it's greetings and it's it's real adventure. feelings of saying yeah. goodbye yeah. And, and adventure. You can't even go to the gate and say goodbye. No, or like say it's hello so anymore, changed. Yeah. I just I used to love it so much, and you people there with flowers and balloons and like waiting to see someone or crying because they're leaving, but it's real. You know, like I just loved that energy, and then you would take that on your trip with you. Um, and then, um, so then the next day we were going to do like kind of touristy stuff and we were going to go around and, um, we were in, um, like the middle of this beautiful square and we were getting on a, a bus to go wherever we were. I thought we were going to, um, the Heineken factory to do like a tour and drink beer. And, uh, <laughs> um, and I'm getting, he's ahead of me, he gets on the bus and I'm getting on the bus and I'm wearing my uh, Louis Vuitton backpack um, <laughs> that I think was a total knockoff, but um, nobody knew that. And, uh, and I make eye contact with this guy who's on the bus. And as I make eye contact with this guy, he says, you're being robbed. And I, and I said, what? And he said, you're being robbed. And then I feel <gasps> hands on my backpack. Oh, I know, and you said, like, watch your backpack. I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> and... So in that moment, I got robbed, and they took my wallet and my passport, <gasps> and so I had no money and no ID. Oh. And this is pre-internet too. This is nineties. So um, and I and so like the whole everything, the whole trip now is different, right? So like that, everything has switched. We get off the bus. We don't even finish getting. I mean, we the guy's gone. He's just gone. I, you know, I didn't even see him. Um, and. So now you're now we're saying they're like, well, what now? What do we do? So we go to the police station, and um, find our way to a police station. And the uh, oh, and we had stopped. We had stopped to get cash. We had stopped at an ATM oh, no. um, on our way to the bus. I forgot about that part. So when we got to the police station, and we sort of told, and they said, "I'm sure you were followed from the ATM. They followed you and." Um, and I said, well, I got to find my wallet and, and, and my passport. Like, this is crazy. What are you going to do about this? Like, I'm an American in your country. And I was poor. I'm so horrible. And the guy, the, the guy behind the, the officer behind the desk is just like letting me rant. And, um, and then he reaches under the desk and he pulls out a huge cardboard box and he puts it on the counter and he, and he goes, is any of these yours? And it's full of wallets. It's just full full of wallets like this happens all the time sometimes they get turned in sometimes we find them if one of these is yours congratulations but we're not going out to try to find the guy who just took your wallet so i'm i'm flabberg like it this had never it had never occurred to me that this could happen. Like it just oh, I clutched everything in Europe as close as I could. <laughs> I do now, but at the time, it just it just never occurred to me. I just thought traveling is so wonderful, and people are so wonderful, and everything's so <laughs> wonderful, and and we were stoned and whatever the hell, you know, what else? Um, so and okay, so now we are there over the Easter break, which in Holland is like everything shuts down. Mm -hmm. So the embassy is closed. Um, the police station is barely open. There's kind of nowhere to go. And this is pre-internet. There's no like, I mean, today I have 
color copies of my passport upstairs. If anything happens, somebody can come in and fa fax that and I'm, or email it and I'm free. <laughs> well, that's coming. Um, uh, and uh, so I said to the guy, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, you're going to have to wait till Monday when the embassy opens. And I was like, but we're leaving Sunday. And he goes, well, no, you're not. And I said, no, no, I'm leaving on Sunday, so I have to solve this now. And I think this is Friday. Uh, but of a holiday weekend, Sunday is Easter, and everybody's, like, everything's closed. Like, the government is closed. Everybody's closed. The banks are closed. Everything, nothing's open except the weed stores, brown cafes. So I, and, and he said, the cop said, like, there's not a whole lot I could do. So Keith, uh, Keith and I, like, talk for a minute, and, and I I, I said, like, I have to try to get out of here. Like, I can't, like, this, you know, when you're broke, like, there's, what are you supposed to do? You can't, you have no money to change your plane. There's no, like, you don't, there's no cell phones. There's no internet cafe. There's nothing. Like, I'm, I'm in another country, and I can't get out. And I had never felt so scared. Like, just, fuck, what am I going to do? So I said to the cop, I'm going to need an office with a phone. <laughs> 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 And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I just, like, I got to try to figure this out. I got to make some phone calls. I got to, um, I got to figure this out. And put and, the coffee on. It's yeah, so it's going to be a long night. And I said to Keith, look, you go to the Heineken factory. Just go. And I, when you get back, I'll be here. I'll be at the police station. Just go. So he's like, are you sure? And he's like, I said, yes, I have to stay here to figure this out. So off he goes, and this cop, I think, is kind of impressed with me in a little bit. Like, <laughs> I've got some balls, and, like, I'm not just a, 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 like a crying mess. I'm like, I'm going to fucking Nancy Drew my way out of this. So he's like, well, I can give you some phone numbers to this embassy in The Hague, and there might be somebody there, or whatever. So they put me in this little room, and they give me a phone, and I start making phone calls, just, like, trying to call. Like, I'm calling all these numbers in The Hague, and, like, nobody's answering, or it's, it's answering machine voicemails or whatever they are. And, uh, and then I would get somebody on the phone, and I would tell them my sob story, and they'd be like, ah, there's really nobody here, but try this number. So then I would call that number. And then I finally got this guy who was like, well, the guy you need to speak with um, who can help you whatever he, he was like some you know um ambassador something something who could like sign off on he i needed a letter that said you're allowed to leave the country and travel without mm. a passport and i needed a letter from the um dutch embassy that said this and i'm saying like i need a letter signed by this guy and i need it tomorrow because I'm leaving <laughs> and they were like well he's gone for the Easter holiday well where is he well he and his family are up his, <laughs> they're, like, they're starting they're telling me this information and um, his son is like playing soccer and there's like it's they're like in a field like there's no way to get a message to him and I'm like no but you I have to get this letter and he has to sign this letter I'll hold like that's how I was just like <laughs> And the woman on the other end was just like, okay, give me your number and I'll call you back. And so then I'm waiting and then like an hour later she calls back. The cop, the, the officer is like, the phone's for you. <laughs> she answers the call into my office. And, um, and, I, and she's like, all right, I found the hotel where he's staying. So if you, here's the fax number, write a letter, tell them what's going on, see if the cop can sign it, send a copy of the police report, because they had filled out this police report for me that was all in Dutch and I couldn't read it. And, um, 
uh, and fax it and the hotel he'll be at his hotel tonight and hopefully he'll see it and hopefully he'll do what you want and I was like okay so I write my letter and the cop signs it and I take it and they fax it all for me and I'm still waiting there and Keith comes back from the Heineken factory <laughs> and um and I and I said and he, the cop was like well nothing's gonna happen now like now it's nighttime and um, come back tomorrow. So I leave and we go to um, the hotel room. And so this has been like the whole day. I haven't really processed what's happened. And we get back to the hotel room, which is like a jail cell. And I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. <laughs> and, and I was like, and I started crying. And, and, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm crying. And, and Keith goes, it's okay, it's okay. I mean, you've been robbed. And in that moment, it struck me like really what had happened. And I was like, oh! <gasps> I've been robbed. Like, and I've been talking about it all day. I've been robbed. This is what's happening. But I hadn't really felt it. Like, I just hadn't processed it at all. So the next day, I go back to the police station, and he has faxed back the letter. And um, I have the letter that I need. And then we uh, fly to London. Oh, first, we get to, uh, we get to the airport. And they don't know what to do with this paperwork. And there's no computer. Like, so they, like, okay, so you have this letter and you have this police report and you have all this stuff and you're telling me these things, but I, you don't, I, so what? Like, you could be full of shit. You could be anybody. And I can't believe it. Like, I have put so much work and so much effort into getting this right. And I've got the paperwork and I tracked this guy down on the soccer field or wherever the hell he was. Like, this is a miracle that I've done all this. And this woman is standing there telling me that she can't let me on the plane. And I said, if you don't let me on this plane, I am going to throw the biggest fit this country has ever seen. This country. And there was like this long pregnant pause and she goes, oh, fine. Like she just, like, like, she was like, she, I think she just took me at my word that I was going to be a, a terrible, I was, in, I was in hysterics at that point. Get on the plane. Now we get to London. Is that how you got on the no-fly list? No, no that's like, that was something else. That <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> was much later. Um, uh, we get to London, and we're supposed to, we have an eight-hour layover. And I, they put us in this little area, and I'm not allowed to leave because I have no passport. Oh. So welcome to this closet. It's like this little tiny closet. And uh, stay here for eight hours until your, uh, oh, thank you, until um, your connection uh, leaves and Keith was sitting with me and Keith's last name is McCourtney and when you have nothing to do for eight hours <laughs> you start to really drive each other crazy I kept going are you McBoard? <laughs> are you McHungry? I'm McHungry I'm so McTired are you McTired? and eventually like and he and I are so close but he grabbed my hand like really tight and I was like it's not funny like, you know, so we were going to kill each other um, so anyway, that's over, and then um, we get uh, we get on the plane. We fly um, back to the U.S. and they won't let me in. And I have all my paperwork, and everybody was so nice to me. Like, think about what I did. Like, this was fucking crazy. What I did. This was way beyond okay. Like, I pushed. I mean, I I I acted like a diva in every way possible. I demanded an office and a phone, and I interrupted an ambassador's Easter holiday. Like it was horrible. But everybody was so nice to me. They were so kind to me, and so, but not the U.S. Customs. I was not. I was never treated so badly by anybody. 
uh, as I was by the U.S. Customs, who were just rude and searching everything, went through my bags, my body, my clothes, like, and then insult to injury, I had to pay money to enter. I had to write a check, which I happen to have my checkbook. <laughs> uh, I had to write a check for $250 to enter the com- country without a passport. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I'm like standing there writing a check to, you know, the United States government, $250, which I don't have. Like, I don't have $250. You're like, oh, really? <laughs> help yourself. Take the whole checkbook. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, that was, that was, that's the end of my story. But um, I, uh, I, uh, I never, I, I never traveled with a backpack again. Ever, yeah, I would, ever, yeah, ever traveled with a mm, backpack yeah. again. And I never, ever kept my passport and my wallet in the same place again. And um, I've been back to Amsterdam. I love Amsterdam. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Chick and I talk about leaving here if Trump continues to rule the world. Um, <laughs> and we talk about going to Amsterdam. So that's my story. Wow. Yay! Yay! Oh, my I was such a fucking bitch. <laughs> I think it's so I'm impressive. gonna need an office. I will throw a fit. What'd you say? That is I will fit. throw a fit. The, the, the biggest the, fit the, in this country. This country's ever seen. Ever seen. You thought World War II yeah. was bad. <laughs> you thought Anne Frank has a memorial. Oh my god, I'm gonna. <laughs> then I just turned to the cop and said, Keith laughs about this all the time. I'm gonna need an office. Like, who are you? Get Scotland Yard on yes. <laughs> Hello. Britain 2124. <laughs> you're such a you're such that person that that doesn't surprise me. Mm. I I weirdly am such a I'm such a pushover for most things. And then just recently we were in Iceland. Something will go wrong and I'll get real hot and angry. And Ian was like, calm down. Or Jennifer was calm down. I you and I were both annoyed. No, you were worse than me. Yeah, <laughs> but that, it, like there was some bus we were supposed to be able to transfer from, and they weren't. And I just kept making people help me and. When you're desperate, you turn into a different That's the thing. Like, mostly when I travel, I'm very low maintenance. I go with the flow. I don't need... I'm happy to adjust to to customs, to to time zones, to people, to anything. But with that, it was like, I, I felt so... And it's different now, too, internet. Like, there's, there's really almost impossible... But it would be more intense now, too. I mean, it would, to... but it would be so much easier to fix. Yeah, it would be so much easier to fix. It wouldn't take what the, what it took, and um, I just think I felt so, th- I felt so unsafe. Like that's the thing. I've, I I felt so unsafe. I had to be bold, and I had to be like, no, we're doing this. Like this is what's happening. Yeah, you shouldn't have spoken in your voice audibly because that's how they knew you were. <laughs> we're gonna. I'm gonna be in the office, <laughs> and it was really like a big like. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it wasn't a rotary, but it was like a big push button. She did space work too. Space work, yeah, push button. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you guys all for being yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go around the table and tell people your internet places to find you? Yes. Uh, this is Elliot again, and you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at, at being Elliot. It's Elliot with one L and one T. And uh, being Elliot, that's all of my <laughs> handles. I love that. Come and follow me for some. Some good jokes. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm Alex Staz, and I put a space in there because my name's not Alice. Alex, complete that word, Staz. You mean you put a space when you speak it, not when you type it out on Instagram? Yes, but you can type it out altogether. You don't have that issue. (laughs) (laughs) When I speak, I often go, I'm Alex Staz. And I was like, oh, I just made that one word, Alex. (laughs) 
Stags, but it's Alex with an X. But all your handles are Alice Stags. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. But yes, that is. That's two G's in Stags. Yeah, S-T-A-G-G-S. S is in Sam. T is in Tom. A is in Apple. Double G is in Goop. S is in Sugar. Or Greg. Yeah, on Insta. I don't tweet much. I tweeted, the, I tweeted the other day, and it showed up on my Facebook, and I was like, whoops. That's all right. That's what happens when you don't tweet for yeah. three years. <laughs> I actually think I got a message. Your friend Alex has just tweeted for the first time in a while. See what he said. I was tweeting hurt, saying, I'm not booking with you. Yes. Good. NRA, and they NRA? changed it later that day. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Ian. Good for you. Um, well, I don't uh, tweet, and I never have, um, and I don't have any handles, I don't think. But um, You're on Facebook. But I am on Facebook. I think I have an Instagram account. Uh, I think it's <laughs> iBondSmith. That's uh, Bond like James Bond, with Smith on the end, all one word. Um, <laughs> you can find me if you look. <laughs> and and you have a, a you're an attorney for hire. I am an attorney and a mediator. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I prefer working in the mediation area. I think uh, for those of you who are thinking about suing anyone, see if you can uh, see if you can resolve your your differences um, amicably first. <laughs> mm. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. That's so nicely said. Yeah. Uh, Ian is at Ian Screams. Yeah. On both places, right? Yeah, and our co-producer Chick is uh, at T Chick Photo in all places. I think mean, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and T Chick Photography on Facebook. I think. Uh, I am Colleen Smee or at Colleen Smee, C O L L E N S M I, or Colleen Marie Smee on uh, the Instagram. I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm Colleen Smee, C O L L E N S M I. I'm Mary at Mary Joy LA on Twitter and Instagram. I never Instagram, but um, if you go there right now, you will see pictures of me on the floor at the 99 Center, surrounded by traffic cones. Um, and I'm Mary Jo Smith on Facebook, which is a public account. And that's it. Yeah, and we're at my or uh, www.myfirsttimepodcast.net. Yes, podcast spell out first. Yeah, first. podcast is spelled out. Spell out podcast. <laughs> spell out first. And I think that's it. That's it. Ooh. Yay! Yay! Yay!